You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We have a fun show for you guys today. Why? Because we have a game to break down for the first time in what feels like forever. So I'm excited to do that. And I'm excited to return to our usual format. We have some stock up. We have some stock down. We have some hurt it on the sideline submissions. We have it all for you guys today. So I'm excited if you can't already tell. As a reminder, you guys can send us your comments, questions, concerns, or submissions to the pod at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. But like I said, guys, we have a game to review. USC defeats Arizona State last second, the last minutes, 28 to 27. Before we get into stock up and stock down, I guess your overall thoughts. We're a couple days away from it. I know that gives us more time to marinate. Shotgun, I know you've probably watched the game 90 times at this point. Has your opinion about the game changed at all now that you've had time to marinate or is it still the same? And what's been your just overall takeaways? I I think my opinion of the game overall has stayed pretty much the same, but my opinion of certain position and players has changed a little bit as I've been able to to rewatch and reevaluate based on the broadcast view versus looking through my lens and maybe not seeing the entire play um, as it plays out. So, uh, but overall you look at it and you go, is this the same USC team? How much has changed? That's the big question. You give them credit for coming back and finding a way to win, uh, especially because that could be the game that determines the Pac-12 South. You know, if this season gets played out, you think that that's probably going to be the biggest matchup for USC. Still some concerns about Utah if you have to play there. Obviously, that's always a scary situation for USC. But the rest of the Pac-12 South, just doesn't seem like they're, you know, high quality. So it looks like, you know, the, that you were able to get that win should be really big as they progress through this this shortened season. I just rewatched the game about an hour before we had this, and I still have no idea how this team pulled this one out of their butts. 99.9% win probability for Arizona State at one point, right before the fourth down. I still don't know. If I had just been watching the game for the first time straight on my TV, there were so many times I could have been like, oh, well, that, that's it right there. That That's it. That's game. Arizona's taking, Arizona State's taking this one. I, I Like I said, I just don't know how they did it. They had to have so many things go right in the fourth quarter, and it did. Um, and like Shotgun said, we still don't really know if this is a new USC team. Is it still the old USC team? I'm willing to give them some leeway just because of the un natural circumstances surrounding this game with a 9 a.m. start with an empty stadium with a bunch of new stuff put in with the defense all this coming together against their toughest opponent probably so I'm willing to let a little bit of it slide but I really want to see what what changes and that step forward they make next week going on the road yeah I think this was a game that definitely needed fans that was definitely weird and if fans were there they probably would have left (laughs) Uh, Or maybe it is a good thing that fans aren't there. I don't know. But the thing that changed for me was probably the assessment of the defense. The longer I've had to, like, look at things and marinate on it. And even just hearing from Todd Orlando, I think I'm a little bit easier on the defense than I was originally. And I think just looking at, you know, how much pre-snap motion Arizona State had, that's a lot of communication for a a team that's just essentially installed a defense. And even Todd Orlando was talking about how, you know, we didn't have a spring to install this defense or really work it out. And we had four weeks to get this thing going. So, I mean, 
overall, it's Groundhog Day for me. It's a lot of the same. It's a lot of things that the pandemic doesn't excuse. And I know I've talked about this on multiple platforms, so I don't have to get into it again. But overall, it was Groundhog's Day for me. I would agree with that assessment. I mean, the, you, you look at it and you, you still have to wonder, is this the exact same team? You know, is it the same situation is going to come up over and over? And that's going to be the thing that we look at, like Chris said, is especially starting this week. Do we actually see improvement? Do we see some differences? Was it, you know, the first game, long layoff, rust, that type of thing? Or are we looking at the same team we've seen for a few years now? Yeah, I'm expecting a much better effort out of the offense this week. I know Arizona is considered probably one of the the weaker teams on the schedule. So I think this is a game that they can get some real confidence rolling with the offense early. It's not a super early game. It's a 1230 kickoff, which is still early, but... That's like a night game compared to what we just went through last week. And I expect the defense to kind of make those adjustments with the run game. So I'm excited to see what changes uh, come through this week. And, and like Keeley said, I did feel, if you're a USC fan, I think you feel a little bit better based off what Todd Orlando was saying. Like, yeah, these are simple fixes. We, we weren't happy with the way we played. We got a lot to fix, but it's all, it's all fixable things. All right, well, let's get into stock up, stock down. It's basically what's trending up on USC's team and what's trending down. Shadi, since you're a veteran, I'm going to throw it to you first. Stock up, who you got? I mean, the easiest one is Marlon Tuipelotu. He was a beast in the middle of the line. He had eight tackles. Uh, looking through, I just posted the, the defensive grades on, on Wednesday for Pro Football Focus, the top players. He was the USC's top-ranked defensive player uh, by their grading. And he had one stat that stood out to me was defensive stops, is which is when you basically just shut down an offensive play. He had seven of those in this game. Now a couple of those were you know behind the line of scrimmage. A couple of those were you know stuffs of the run. But that's the most by a USC defensive tackle since Stevie Tuikolavatu in the 2016 Rose Bowl. And that's the most only once last year did any USC defender have as many as seven. So I think that tells you how strong of a game he had up front. They need him to have that with Jake Tefele out, and he showed up and made some big time plays for him. He's definitely in my stock up. Chris, I know this format is a little new for you. You you were with us in the off season. You got your sea legs. We're on a new ship, but you you proved yourself. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. USC right now debuting this is my week one right now so I'm just trying not to I'm just trying to contain the run not give up any big plays no <laughs> mental mistakes I'm just trying to I, I need to fall back to my training in this offseason what I was doing yeah putting up some good pods and now I just gotta I gotta go out perform this is the real deal exactly you're you're the rookie we believe in show us what you got and I already messed up did you say stock down or stocked up <laughs> Stock up, Chris. Stock up. All right. I didn't know if it was an alternating thing. So you already, I already just like had to call an early timeout. I just, I it's okay. It's okay. We put you back on the field. We believe in you. Stock up. I have AVT in his draft stock. I went a little meta here, but uh, finished number six out of USC's top players. Wasn't a great overall grade with a 66.6 per pro football focus, but an 89.5 pass blocking grade this is what we, we you wanted to see out of abt shifting over from that left guard to the left tackle if your left tackles posting nfl level grades and pass blocking that's the best thing you could hear didn't give up any pressures was a clean game for him and this is kind of something analysts wanted to see out of abt moving out a little bit more of that position versatility and so far he's uh he's hitting on what we expected out of him and you know just so consistent out there great punch 
protecting Keaton's blind side. So that it's off to a great start for him. Not only no pressures allowed, but USC dropped back over 60 times in this game. A huge number of snaps to not allow a pressure at all. I think that's a great sign for USC going forward. You feel really comfortable with what's going on on that left side of the offensive line. So I had what both of you guys had. I had multiple just to make sure I didn't get mine taken. Mine is stock up for Drake London. I think we all would have assumed this might have happened based on the the Graham Harrell gleam, the gleam in his eye that he had in preseason. Uh, He was very excited about what Drake London could do and do in this offense, and it seems like the gleam uh, is correct. He's actually USC's leading receiver right now with eight receptions for 125 yards and one touchdown. That touchdown was the game-winning touchdown, fingertip grab. He was going to make that football come into his grasp. It's every angle you watch. It's just chef's kiss. Beautiful. It's a great uh, great sight to see. And, you know, Graham Harrell said this week that he expects Drake London to not be that freshman anymore. He's a part of the offense now. He's not just that guy who's coming in halfway through 2019 making up for some depth issues. He's really a part of the offense and be a solid contributor. And I think game one, you saw it. Uh, Keaton Slovis and Drake London was a, a pretty nice connection. I got to ask you, Chris, which was your favorite play? I mean, obviously the, the touchdown catch to win it is huge, but he also hurdled a guy. He went beast mode on a play over the middle. It was like a five-yard catch, and suddenly he turns it into 20, showing some great balance. He showed a lot out there in this game. I don't yeah. know. Which one was your favorite, Chris? Uh, personally, I think it's the one you just kind of mentioned. He turned that little five-yarder into just like bully ball where it's like, nope, I'm, I'm going past you. I'm going <laughs> over you. And just because I think it was funny that he did that maybe a couple minutes after somebody on the P had mentioned that Drake London needs to lift more weights. So I think I think he was on the sideline. He read that. And he was like, nah, F this. And yeah, I, I've been preaching him as a bully this camp. So I think that was a little bit. We finally got to see it out there in action. Just him knocking dudes, pushing dudes. Making it happen. Kaylee, what about you? The game winner. That fingertip grab is just unreal. In the and window so, that Keaton Slowis puts it in. It just the whole thing was beautiful. Yeah, it was a it was a great design play and the way they were able to manip- manipulate the defense a little bit with a little motion before the play. But I asked him after the game, you know, have you done anything to work on fingertip strength and that grip strength that you have? And he said, well, no, not, not really. And he was like, oh, yeah, occasionally I take those, you know, those grip things that you had, the resistance uh, squeeze things. He's like, I'll just take 200-pound ones of those. I was like, I don't even know that they make 200-pound ones. I, I thought it was like 15 pounds the max you could get or something. This guy's incredible. The best part is that you didn't know what the name of those grip things were called. So in your tweet, you had to put like an educational photo about what you were tweeting about. And I still don't know what they're called. Grippies. <laughs> Grippies, there you grippies. go. We'll call them grippies. <laughs> we might have to put a photo with this just so people will know. Another visual cue. <laughs> oh no, Chris. It's my thing. Leave me alone. Stock up, shoddy. Uh, since you guys, I went on defense the first time. I'll go offense this time. I think Andrew Voorhees. Now there was a little bit of uh, Andrew Voorhees slander after this game, and you know, after watching the game in live, I may have agreed with it a little bit. But after rewatching the game, saw not only the the ability to open up holes, he did get beat on one big third down play. I got thrown out of the way. But besides that, he looked really good. Ended up being USC's top ranked offensive player, according to Pro Football Focus. He opened up some holes, did some nice things, moving his body, getting around blocks that I really like. Mentioned it when talking about Elijah Vera Tucker, but you got to have a lot more confidence in the left side of that offensive line. Those two guys 
seem like they can be a dominant force, similar to what you had last year with Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, I gained a lot of confidence in what Andrew Voorhees showed on that side. And I love the fire of him just attacking any pile that he could find to try to push forward just because he just wanted to hit people because it had been so long since he'd been out on the field. Uh, I'm going back on the opposite side. I'm going with Nick Figueroa, the new defensive end starter. I talked to him going into that week, and he was so excited and humbled to be able to be named a starter. Going, He grew up a UFC fan, so it was a big moment for him. And, you know, he, he came in as a Juco last year, played a little bit in the rotation, but he said he really felt he was coming into his own this year. He felt like he wasn't hesitating out on the field. These new coaches were kind of getting the best out of him. Just play fast. Go out there. Even if you make a mistake, just do it at 110%, uh, 110 miles per hour. And that's what I kind of felt like out of him. I know USC needed somebody to step up in the absence of J2 Fele. Marlon cannot be the guy all by himself. They're going to need guys to help out. And I, I was pegging Nick Figueroa for a big uh, big season this year now that he's the starter. And I think he, he, he displayed some of that and what he, he's capable of. He was solid. He earned one of USC's top three grades for pro football focus. And he came up with that huge, huge tackle for a loss in the fourth quarter to kind of stop a critical ASU drive and keep it a two-score two game instead of a, a, a touchdown. Definitely, and I like the way – what I thought was interesting about Figueroa is how they used him. You know, last year he started the season coming out of Juco as a you know as an interior guy, as a defensive tackle, and then in the front that they had last year, they moved him out to defensive end midway through the season with some injuries. They, he's their defensive end opposite of, of Drake uh, Jackson on, in this front, but they also – they dropped him in coverage a little bit. He had a couple of snaps in coverage, but they also, in their dime package, he becomes the defensive tackle. He's a guy that they trust to rush the passer, so that tells me a lot about the confidence the coaching staff has in Nick Figueroa. He was definitely on my stock-up list as well. Yeah, he was a playmaker at, at a Riverside. Got, he's got pass rushing skilled, almost had – he had 19.5 tackles for a loss, 11 of those sacks in, his, in, in, in community college, so the guy can get to the quarterback. Did you just remember his Juco stats off the top of your head? Is this going in the pod? Yeah, I was just curious. Yes. I was I covered impressed. Nick Figueroa's. I, I, I went to Riverside the day he committed, uh, so I was out there. So I, I have a personal connection because I went all the way out there to go. And I always remember the quote he said. Uh, he told me after he committed to USC, he said, I, I still can't believe all this happened. I'm probably going to go home and cry later. Oh. Just, just thinking about where I came from. Just from a JUCO at Cal Poly to Cal Poly to JUCO, and just like the journey he's been through, uh, playing one year of high school football to being a starter at USC was it was a great story. So I always remember that quote uh, that he told me that day. And the stats, impressive. And we'll try to link that story in the uh, thread on on the P here for anyone who wants to catch up on that one that listens to this. Okay, so I have a reputation, so this is going to be a cautious stock up. I'm going to say stock up for special teams, question mark. I think it was a good showing at least, but that just shows how bad special teams was in prior years, prior seasons. So, you know, you have the, the onside kick go successfully, even though there were some weird quotes about how they didn't really do it. Shotgun, I know you have the scoop on onside kick gate, so you'll probably jump in after me, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you had the muff punt happen with Jack Jones. And then uh, Ben Griffiths, my boy. This is why I have a, a bad reputation. His his punt average last season was 41 yards. And so far, he has 46-yard average. So moving on up, guys. Special teams. 
Let the record show Keeley's all in on the special teams. No, I'm not. I'm just saying it Let is a positive show. start. Let the record show. I, I don't know why you're not just saying that you had special teams. I don't know why you're being cautious about it. The, their stock is definitely up. They did everything right. They did nothing wrong in this game. The only the only negative that you can take away from special teams uh, in is that Parker Lewis kicked one ball out of bounds. I don't think you you put the return game as a negative. You say it's a you know a net even. Like oh they didn't have any great returns. It's not like they started every drive from the ten yard line or anything, which was something that happened in the past in a couple of games. I think that there were um, definite positives. You look at the onside kick, getting that. Obviously, that's kind of a 50-50 play, but you did everything right. You put the ball in the right place. You had the people there, and you jumped on it. Uh, the punting was was better. I mean, uh, Ben Griffiths had a 50-yarder in the air. He had a 58-yarder, I think it was, rolling. So, yeah, I, I think you definitely take away positives on the special teams. Definitely stock up for me. I just want to point out that me and Parker Lewis are both one, one for one in our entire careers in onside kicks. Were you a kicker? I was a kicker. They made me the kicker because they thought I played soccer. I did not. <laughs> and I quote, this is, the, this is a true story. I onside kick in a big game. We were up by a touchdown trying to, trying to make a big play happen. Special team coach walks, walks up to me and he says, all right, I just want you to go out there and kick it to the whitest guy on the field. <laughs> whitest or widest? Whitest. Okay. Either one probably works. Sorry for all the white white special teams players that has ever played on the front front unit. Hit them right, hit them right in the, the hands. We got the ball. <laughs> well done. I love I love the. Hey, let's just try this of the special teams. Special teams were like, oh, let's just put Bruce McCoy. He's never played it before. Let's just let's just throw him out there. Yeah, shotgun comment on onside kick gate. It, it was interesting because Brumagoy says after the game, he said that we never repped the onside kick and comes to find out it, it seems more likely that he had not been on the onside unit and repped it in practice or anything. And he wasn't on the kickoff, the, the normal kick coverage unit, uh, the kickoff unit, because Sean Snyder, he didn't have a specific onside unit. He basically kept all the same players in there except for McCoy. Now, the last guy on the end of the line when you're doing a kickoff coverage is your safety guy. That guy's back there just in case something breaks. He's going to be the guy, sure, a sure-handed tackler, is going to be able to bring the guy down so that you don't give up a touchdown. So instead of having that guy in there who is Dorian Hewitt on one side uh, where Brew McCoy ends up uh, replacing him, on the other side was, was Max Williams. Those are your two guys that are your sure-handed tacklers. They're going to make sure that you don't give up that touchdown regular kickoff return took out Dorian Hewitt and put in Brew McCoy. And, you know, Brew McCoy ends up coming up with it in this one, diving over the pile after having an early shot at it. But then afterwards, Clay Helton was like, oh, yeah, he was out there because someone got injured. And I was like, that's not true because after he scored the touchdown, Dorian Hewitt comes back out. I think Clay Helton misspoke and, and meant that because uh, Brew McCoy did uh, fill in on the kickoff return unit for Sean Mahoney, the walk-on tight end. Not sure if Mahoney got injured or something, but – uh, Clay Helton did say a gentleman went down. What was his uh, terminology? I believe it was. So I think that's what he was referencing rather than Brew McCoy. And then Parker Lewis on, on the radio right after the game said, oh, yeah, I've never kicked an onside kick. And it was like, wait a second. Did they practice this or not? Like it, they made it sound like it hadn't been practiced. Parker Lewis then later cleared up on, uh, the I think, at Trojans Live and then also during our interview with us during this week that 
he had never done one in a game, but he said, yeah, they had repped it in practice. So it was, there was a little bit of confusion there. I was like, have you, they, did they practice this? Was this one of those things where we couldn't get the right cohorts together or something because of the restrictions to get the correct number of people to try an onside kick in practice? Didn't really know, but it, whatever it was, it worked out for USC. They found a way. Parker Lewis, nice kick, great placement there behind behind the front line in the middle of the second line, and ball tips away. Brew McCoy jumps on it. I said the reason why I was cautious about it is because I have a reputation. And to give you an idea, a question we got into the pod this week, the normal Parasite pod, they said, is it too early to give the 2020 Keelior Ben Griffiths unwarranted hype award to Clay Helton for all his preseason EA hype? So <laughs> I have an official <laughs> award now because of the Ben Griffiths love. So that's, that's why I'm cautious about this stock up. But Shadi, I know you have some rapid fire stock up. Go for it. Uh, I, well, I believe that, that Chris Trevino's appearance on podcast has also been given that award. we got to see what he does during the regular season Ooh. here before we're giving him an awards. You're putting more pressure on the rookie. Pods. Hey, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that <laughs> hanging over my head. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Uh, one of the other, other people that I wanted to note was Max Williams. I thought he was really good coming off the edge, especially as a pass rusher. He's a small dude. He's not a guy you would expect. But when they called on him to blitz, which was just a handful of times, he was a guy that was able to get back there and force Jaden Daniels to move from his spot. And he also uh, was, when USC, he rotated with Greg Johnson at one of the nickels, oh, the nickel slash safety spot that they have now. And he also was the guy that came in, in when USC went to dime with more defensive backs. So I think his stock is definitely rising, a guy that's getting more playing time than maybe we initially thought necessarily. Moving on to the next section. Do you guys hear that? I think it's Stock Neutral's noise. My God. My God, that's Stock Neutral's music. My God. Oh, my God. I have two Stock Neutrals for the pod today. Or two in one. How about that? First off, I was driving back home from the game, and I thought, you know what's Stock Neutral? The entire game. as Probably as a USC fan, it's Stock Neutral because you're like, okay, that was not really satisfying but the last four minutes was satisfying a last minute victory is a satisfying thing but the game up until that point was not satisfying so it's stock neutral second of all shotgun's about to hurt me his face looks very annoyed i said stock neutral for executing when you need to because usc struggled in short yarded situations to to convert but they ultimately executed when they needed to at the end of the game so it's a it's a mixed bag AKA stock neutral. Those are my two stock neutrals. That's all I gotta say. Shotgun, I don't know what to do. I was not prepared for this. I was only told to prepare for stock down or stock up. I don't know. She's just throwing this curveball at me. I don't know what to do. So you I, don't do anything with it because there's no such thing as stock neutral. If a stock is, stays the same, then it's just unchanged. Stock neutral nation. We have to do this every year. We had every a year. we had a long hiatus nation, but we back. We back. Let's go. I'm excited. Another Go to the NASDAQ and ask them which of the stocks are neutral. They will be like, no, they just didn't change. Mom, can you come pick me up? I'm scared. <laughs> Moving on to stock down. Chris Trevino, start us off. Who you got for stock down? Um, I'm going to start with, I wasn't prepared to go first, but I will start with Mr. Uh, Keenan Kristen. You know, there was a lot of talk about these, all these four backs, and I know he was in there a couple, couple times for some of those two back uh, formations. 
And he got the lion's share of those carries in camp with Vavai Malapaya and uh, Marquis Step uh, banged up a little bit, him and Stephen Carr. But I just thought, you know, with this offense was kind of needing a spark or a jolt, I thought they would kind of maybe go to him a little bit, give him a couple carries, just see if he could break something. As you saw, there was a couple times where Carr had a nice little hole or Marquise had a nice little hole. You know, if Keenan hits one of those, that's a big play right there. And remember, he was the guy last year for uh, in the Arizona State game when everyone else was injured, and he had some big plays for them. He had two touchdowns in the first quarter. I thought we would have seen at least just a couple of carries uh, just to get see if they could get something going, break one long, because if he gets one, you're not going to catch him. Yeah, as far as if you remember last episode when we had our running back predictions, I did not predict how it was going to go at all. I thought Carr and Kristen were going to get the bulk of the carries, and yet Step and Vi look completely healthy. I was definitely shocked about the whole injury situation, and, and I wasn't shocked about how they were used once I realized they were healthy, but I was surprised that they look pretty good to go, and Vi himself said that he's 100% in, in interviews this week. So I was definitely – I read the tea leaves wrong on that one. Yeah, they, they went with Keenan Kristen on five snaps. That's all he played. Two of those were two-back sets. Only one of those five snaps was a running play, and that was one to one of the other running backs in a two-back set. So when he was in there, they were throwing the ball and, and doing some different things. So it was a little bit surprising their usage of him. I'm not surprised that he was fourth and that he barely got any carries because if those other two guys are healthy, uh, then I expect them to get a, a bulk of the load rather than Keenan Kristen. I think he only steps up when you're going to have, you know, when you have an injury. Though I do like Chris's idea, if the offense is, you know, kind of stuck in uh, in the muck, then put him in there and see if he can break something and give you a little bit of a boost, especially with no crowd or anything. You know, one big play can completely energize the sideline, I think. Who you got for stock down, Chaddy? I think I'm going with the entire offense in short yardage situations. Um, so I calculated it up, and Clay Helton didn't really agree with me, and I probably should have uh, when I asked him a question about this this week, but I probably should have been a little bit more clear. I had them at 9 for 21 in goal line situations or in third or fourth downs in less than five yards. So 9 of 21, that's not good enough in my opinion. You know, if you got it in short yard situations, now third and five to me for USC, I still consider it a short yard situation because their offense is so good at throwing those short passes that I think they should be able to pick those up with a with a high proficiency. You take away third and four, third and fives, and USC, I, I think it was seven for 15. That's still, um, you know, 50% is not that great when it comes to those short yard situations. You should be able to pick those up at a 75 to 80% clip, and they just were not able to do it. Some of it was play calling. Some of it was, you know, getting beat on a couple plays. I think it was a variety of things. I don't think there was anything you just be like, oh, the offensive line just just stunk. They were, you know, were getting pushed back every single time. But I, I think the culmination of it is that they have to do better. In that sense, what did you make of Clay Elton and company going for it? They're pretty aggressive. They went for it a lot. Do you like that or do you not knowing that it's the first game and you're kind of rusty? It just seemed like... Clay was like, I'm always going to take the aggressive option. And it was like, well, have you? I remember, didn't he punt at Stanford two years ago when it was like eight minutes left? I was like, I don't remember this attitude from you. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I, in the decision, in the moment, I, I really did not like the decision. When you're struggling to get points and you've already had a, a two trips prior to that come up with zero points, 
I think you need those points. You need to give some sort of momentum to your offense. You need to show them, hey, we got something going. Let's keep chipping away, chipping away. You get that field goal. You're, you're cut it to a touchdown. Instead, it's another demoralizing blow that's now three trips without points. And you just fired up that, that ASU defense. So I, in the moment, I really did not like that call. And if USC had not pulled this out of their butts, we'd be really zoning in on that that call. And it was the third quarter. You still had plenty. You had the whole fourth quarter left to get something. Just take the points. Chris, you're referencing the, the fourth down inside the 10-yard the line? Yes. See, I didn't have a problem with that one. I, I like being aggressive. The, the one that I was like, that one may not be a good idea – was the earliest one, the one where they went for it on third and one, fourth and one, just past midfield, and you had basically stuffed Arizona State their their previous three drives. They hadn't been able to do anything on offense. And I felt like you gave them some momentum there to, to be able to they go down and score immediately after that and you know uh, take, retake the lead. I know you have confidence in your offense. You felt like you were rolling early, but at midfield, sometimes you got to play that, yeah, okay, we'll trust Ben Griffiths can pin them down inside. The, the 10 yard line and then let our defense try to make a play and we'll get the ball right back in, in good field position. So that one was a little bit questionable and I still didn't feel that bad about it. I just think you, you have that much confidence in your offense that to be able to pick these up. My bigger, my biggest issue was the creativity of the play calling because it was, it was very similar type of play calls throughout when those third and one, fourth and one situation a lot of times they went with tempo, but it was you know inside runs almost exclusively. The one time they picked up a fourth down and gashed Arizona State a little bit was they ran it outside with Stephen Carr, and he picked up, I think, 13 yards. Now, they did some other stuff. They, they did a tempo play when they got into uh, you know a first-and-goal situation and pitched it to marquee steps. So there's some other stuff there, but a play action or read option where the quarterback keeps it. The way that Arizona State was just crashing down their linebackers off the edge, particularly in the second half, yeah, I think you should have done uh, a couple things a little bit differently. That was my bigger issue. For my stock down, I had ball security, especially just because two of those guys are veterans. You have Tyler Vaughns and Vivai Malapai, both uh, cause fumbles. It's just, you don't expect that from your seniors. That's something that they shouldn't be doing. And Vivai Malapai, he, you know, he was humble about it in the presser this week and said, you know, that's, it was a selfish play by me to try and extend it. You don't do that on first down. And so, again, that's a question where is it rust or is it just poor coaching? And turnover margin is something that has suffered. It's been bad for under Clay Helton under his whole tenure. So I just can't chalk this up to rust. It's something that USC has always talked about. You know, ball security, penalties, technique, fundamentals, et cetera, et cetera. And so for that to happen in this game and, and have three turnovers or three fumbles and an interception, it just, it, it really took away from this offensive performance. And I, that's why you could put up over 500 yards of total offense and yet have not a lot of points to show for it. So you just can't have those drive killers and just stock down for me on that front. And I think you got to give a little bit of credit to uh, the ASU defenders in those situations. Like the, the, the Tyler Bonds one, that's just a textbook shop at the ball. Uh, but you know, TV. He's a, he's a veteran. You gotta you gotta sense the guy. You gotta know that they're they're gonna be come come for you when you when when you have the ball like that. And then the Marquise one, just again credit to the uh, the defender, just has a hand in there and just kept pulling, kept pulling down. So again, yeah, you USC has to be better in those situations. You gotta know that hey, they're gonna be coming for that ball. But I, I give some credit to those ASU defenders, really really coming for it. 
See, I don't, I don't give as much credit. Uh, I, I'll give him credit for the marquee step one. And hey, if you have one fumble in a game, you can live with it. You can, you can get over that. However, the Vi one that was completely on him. You know, he even said this week that that they teach them don't extend for the goal line unless it's a, you know, it's it's fourth and goal or if it's if it's a game on the line situation. So, you know, you can't do that in the first quarter on a first and goal like that. It's just not smart football at all. And that's where where Keeley talks about where it's a fifth year senior. You've got to be better than that. And the Tyler Vaughn's one, I, I, I blame him as well. You know, Chase Lucas did make a nice play on it. However, the, the ball was not against his pressed against his chest like it should be. And he's running an inside screen there with Drake London blocking for him. You got to know there's a defender outside. Now, the defender ran up from, you know, like five, 10 yards back after the initial block. But you got to be able to know that who could be around you in that type of situation. I just thought he was a little careless with the ball there as well. So I, I think with two older guys, that's, it's a great call by Keely. That's stock down. You got to do much better taking care of the ball there. If you go, if you get out of this game and hey, uh, Keaton Slovis throws one interception over the middle and you have one fumble, you go that's not good, but that's not terrible. But those two fumbles by your your fifth year guys, those are two that you you need to eliminate starting now. That those got to be gone the rest of the season. I just like to point out that I did not give credit to the defense on the Vivai Malapea fumble. Check the record. I did not. As, as Shotgun's fire back at me kind of mentioned, I did not give them credit. You gave Chase Lucas too much credit. Hey, a hack is a hack, baby. I love a good hack. I love a good hack fumble. Once again, swiping at the air where no one on this audio podcast can see. Thank you, Chris right. Trevino. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start a Patreon. If you donate $3 to represent the three of us in this feud, we will do... Keely will post every visual gag i do without context just a straight <laughs> just without like just every visual gag just sure and bloopers how about that sure sure anyways moving on chris who else you got on stock down i have stock down at the moment the interior offensive line depth because we did, did have an injury come out of this with uh brett neal the starting center and if you're usc that's probably the the injury that you can afford the most just because you have a veteran in Justin Dietrich who came in and started at center uh ironically at the Arizona State game last year he might be the closer for this team in ASU games but he came in late started the rest of the way uh throughout the season the number one center in his class he's a talented guy I think the offensive line is going to be fine with him in there as uh until Nealon gets back but now he was also kind of your sixth man with those interior spots. So now if you get an injury at maybe one of the guard positions or even at center with him, you're in real trouble now because now you're relying on, you know, Andrew Millick, who's just learning the position, a Liam Douglas who's also kind of learning the position. And then you have two inexperienced guards uh, next to him that would probably have to fill in with Liam Douglas again or Cortland Ford, who's playing right tackle or right, right guard, excuse me. So if you got an injury in one of those spots, you're kind of – in a, in a tough spot for USC now that your sixth man is in the starting line. I, I think this goes back to just the overall offensive line depth. This is something we worried about, you know, and, and they got a big boost getting Elijah Vera Tucker back to keep this from being an even bigger issue. But again, we always say on, on this podcast that you're always going to have an offensive lineman go down. It just, it happens. It happens every single year. You're not going to make it through a year with a clean offensive line. 
they've got a they've got one right now. We'll see how serious it is. See if Brett Nealon is available this weekend. But you know, how do you fill in? And if you do have someone else go down, or as we're seeing all across the country, if there is a positive test, you know, where do you turn for USC if, if it, you have one of your starters go down? My final stock down is I've got a couple here, so I can't decide which I want to pick here. Uh, but I'm going to go with linebackers. You know, uh, we heard a lot of hype. Hype was another one of mine uh, on my stock down, the hype that we heard for some of the things during fall camp. But uh, we'll start with linebackers, Raylan Goforth and Pally and Itiote. We expect big things out of them. We didn't get that the first game. And Todd Orlando even said as much today. He was asked about them. He said, eh, they were okay. And just the tone of it just really stood out uh, the way he was talking about him. And he's like, I can say that because that's my position group that, that I'm coaching. You might have been a little bit more positive about someone else's position group uh, just to, to hide the fact. But they weren't very good. They, they have to get better. They, ha- they played hesitant, which was the big thing to me, more so than the, the plays that they didn't make was just the hesitancy. So maybe that's something that will progress as the season goes along. So there's a little bit of belief that, that they can rise that stock. But for now, that stock is definitely down. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that, especially after all the Clay Helton doubling down, tripling down we heard on EA. So that anything other than an outstanding performance was going to look not great on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of hesitancy. But you hope that's more so just with being in the first game of a new defensive system. And as we go forth forward, we'll see a lot more pulling the trigger and reacting a lot faster. In the same vein of hype, I had tight ends on stock down just because John David Baker, when we talked to him preseason and even in March made it sound like they clearly understood what was needed from the tight ends, what the jump they need to take. And then right before the season really started, JDB was saying that in practice, the tight ends look really good. They were involved in the offense. Keaton is looking at them as a, as an option on critical downs. And yet you just didn't see that in this game. It felt like they were more used as a a blocking option. And even then they didn't block very well. Shotgun, I know you have the ticky tacky stats about the tight ends and and the formations in which they were used. But uh, from my eye, it just didn't look like the tight ends were used in a way that USC was saying that they wanted to use them uh, preseason. And it just didn't look good for just the future of that position, at least for this season. I'm definitely stocked down on that. Ticky tacky, huh? No. Ticky tacky sounds bad. Now <laughs> I'm realizing ticky-tacky that. Ticky tacky remark for a ticky tacky. I meant like yeah. the the detailed breakdown. That's not what ticky tacky means, and I apologize. I just meant like the little the little the bit. Minutia. The, 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 the sprinkles of stats, if you will. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the tight ends, I I consider them for stock down, but their stock is already down. I would say so. They would go into that hype that I was talking about. Yeah, the, you expected more out of them, though, uh, from what we had heard and, and from JDB. And maybe it's just a position coach hyping his group up. So I asked Graham Harrell this week, you know, what do you need to get more out of the, those tight ends? And he, he basically made it sound like they're an important part of this offense. And it's, it's curious that he said that because in the fourth quarter, they disappeared. You know, the, the tight ends were not on the field in the fourth quarter in those final drives. Instead, they brought in Brew McCoy and move Amon Ross St. Brown inside. And that's an interesting thing because I like that lineup so much better than splitting out your tight end, uh, you know, whether it's whether it's Jude Wolf or Eric Cromenhook. And I thought it was interesting about the tight ends. 
Jude Wolf played about two thirds of the snaps compared to Eric Cromenhook uh, of the tight end snaps. So I think the the torch has kind of been passed there. Now we're going to see how how things change if if they do. And was it just Jude Wolf? his first true game where he's in there and playing a ton of snaps and he was just, you know, uh, you know, nervous in his first game. Was that it? Or is it just the tight end just is not working in this offense for USC and maybe they need to make that move and just say, Hey, we're going to trust Brew McCoy out on the outside. And we'll move Amon Ross St. Brown a little bit around a little bit more. They did split out the tight end more. And I thought that was interesting. And I thought Graham Harrell's comments about it this week, saying that you know we're, we're splitting them out more. We have more confidence in them on the outside in the perimeter. Um, and that's partly because I think they have more confidence in Jude Wolf. But they didn't block good on the outside. There were several times where USC had screen passes set up or just quick passes to the wide receivers. And that's one of the ways you, do, you attack a, a zone defense like Arizona State. If they're going to play off you, then, hey, take that screen and pick up six, seven yards of pop. But if you don't block that first defender – which is what the tight ends are being asked to do, then you're getting one yard out of it or two yards. And so it's completely different on first down or second down uh, now when you have to, to move the ball. So I think the tight ends have to be better with their blocking on the perimeter, but it's interesting that they did use them more on the perimeter in this game. I have a couple more just quick stock downs. I had stock downs for the fact that there were no fans or family in the stands. I feel like it's sad that the family can't do it. I know my family would always watch all my games growing up, so I can only imagine what it's like if your son's playing D1 college football. And then I also had a stock down for, for the eye test. It just felt like USC did not pass the eye test at all, and that's something where coming into the season, we heard coaches talk about, Pac-12 championship, national championship. You, I think, shotgun have asked Clay Helton about the college football playoff committee and what do you need to show them? And it was clear that everyone knew that you need to win impressively. And this was just not something where the casual viewer who's tweeting about it is like, wow, USC looks great. (laughs) Instead, it was USC looks terrible. USC looks bad. Of course, they were able to pull out a game and win it when they had no business doing so, but it's not like you walk away from USC season opener going, that's a prepared, well-coached team that's ready to mow down some people. You know, it just didn't look like that. So stock down for the eye test. Yeah, I mean, like I said in my opening statement, I'm still holding judgment. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. They did not look great, but I'm still just holding judgment for what this team could be moving forward. Uh, I, I mentioned the the circumstances surrounding this game with, Shortened offseason, uh, no fans, COVID-19, 9 a.m. kickoff, all these weird things. Maybe it jumbled them up a little bit. Didn't look like this team was fully awake for the first three quarters or so. So I'm willing to to, to give them a little bit of a pass and see what, what we get next week. See, here's the problem with that. There's no one else on the schedule that anyone in on the East Coast is going to look at and say, wow, that was impressive the way they beat that team. You beat Arizona by 30. You beat UCLA. You beat UCLA that just lost to Colorado with a brand-new coach and a, uh, a safety-turn quarterback. It, you, no one's going to be impressed by you win by 30. It's, it's like when, you know, when Georgia beats Missouri by 30, you don't go, well, that's really impressive. No. So this was their opportunity. This was a one game where people go, oh, Jaden Daniels is a really good quarterback. That should be a good matchup. And it was like, eh, USC doesn't look that great. Wow, they won. Okay. But nobody's going to think about the circumstances leading into this game, the 9 a.m. and all that, in a month and a half when they're looking at the potential of a college football playoff. So they needed to win and win impressive, and they didn't do it. 
laughable that you think this team will be considered for the playoff. They they are one of two teams in the Pac-12 that has an opportunity. You know, it's basically USC or Oregon with a shortened season. You need your preseason ranked teams to to be the ones to to look impressive. And USC didn't look that in their first game, so they've got definitely got a lot of uh, room to make up to even have a chance that if, if there's an opening in that uh, college football playoff. I'm sorry, Keely. I know when I ask him something, it goes on for 40 minutes. Yeah. I'm I giving, I'm I giving the wrap up signals and you just blow past the stop sign, Chris, and press on the gas. You're, you're I, just had to, I just had to get it in there. In that same vein, I'm going to say stock down on the college football, the prospect or the viability of college football in a pandemic. It looks very bad right now. I think at this point there are six games canceled and it's Wednesday, maybe eight. The count keeps evolving, but it just does not look good for teams being able to play in a non-bubble environment just because cases are rising nationally and thus it makes sense that it would not only spread to a college community but the college football team. So it just doesn't look good. The prospect of it all, I know I talked to a USC source who doesn't even think that the Pac-12 season will finish as it stands right now. So hold on to your hats, people. It's going to be an interesting ride. Yeah, the Pac-12 lost two of their six games in the opening weekend. Uh, there's big concerns about whether Cal is going to be able to play because of the restrictions in Berkeley. There's concerns about Utah being able to play this week against uh, at UCLA. Is that if that ends up being the case and USC plays their game, they could play – uh, an opponent in their first game three straight weeks, which is just the schedule getting easier and easier for USC. Every iteration, it changes. It, it seems to get easier for USC. But four SEC games have already been canceled. Uh, Ohio State, Maryland was canceled uh, just before we started recording this. So some big games out there, unfortunately, are, are being canceled. So we hope everyone is trying to stay as healthy as can, take all the precautions, wear your mask, wash your hands, do all those things. Try to try to take care of everyone around you as well. That way, you know, if everyone takes care of everyone around you, around them, then maybe college football will be able to continue. Alrighty, let's move on to hurt it on the sidelines. Now, this is like a hurt it with an asterisk, just because none of us were actually on the sidelines, which is weird. This is the second time for me uh, that in I guess six seasons, I don't know which season I'm on anymore, <laughs> that I haven't been on the sideline. I was in the press box with Chris Trevino. Shotgun, you were on the concourse, so it was an interesting experience. I guess starting with you, Shotgun, what do you have for Hurt It? I got to Hurt It from the sidelines. So you actually could hear a lot more of the chirping and stuff going on in pregame. You could hear the players going back and forth. Couldn't exactly make out. But because there's no other noise besides the, the pumped-in music or ambient noise, crowd noise, you could hear the players going back and forth a little bit. And you could also hear, you know, I was closer to the Arizona State sideline, hearing them yelling at their teammates saying, hey, we got to get the energy up. we got to get the energy up. So that tells me that USC is the team with more energy. And if you ask Graham Harrell, Team of more energy is the team that's going to win 90% of the time or so. So uh, give USC credit for having the energy, and you know Arizona State apparently did not have it on their sideline. Chris, what did you hear from the press box? This is kind of – so obviously I'm the press box guy of this group, um, but something that, I, that really set in for me um, was during the national anthem. First of all, we didn't even know what was going on. Uh, I think like half the press box had no idea it was actually just starting. And then when it finished, there was this weird like feeling. It was like 
in a vacuum. Everything went silent. There was no, you know, the usually you hear the crowd going crazy and then you hear the, the F jets coming over. It was just a vacuum of silence and it felt very dystopian. And I'm like, oh, this is what we're about to go down. <laughs> it was interesting. Did you guys notice the, the double flyover? Yeah, what was that about? I have no clue, but I, I remember I saw the first one, got a couple of photos, and then I'm looking at Mike Bone because he was in one of the suites, got a couple of photos of him, and then I hear the planes again, and I'm like, what's going on? And another wave of planes comes across, so I was like, okay, this is interesting. A double flyover for USC. I don't know if they had the timing wrong or what exactly it was. I also heard on the sidelines, and maybe this plays into it, there was a near lightning delay. Right as the game was beginning, I'm hearing from some of the, P- the TV people because the camera guys are, are up on the concourse as well. And I hear, take it down, take it down. And that means for the TV guys, I was get down from their, their perch where they were shooting uh, shooting the video and, and get underneath cover because they believed that a lightning delay was, was about to be issued. And then some people were tweeting out that there was a lightning delay. Um, and then suddenly, like three minutes later, it's barely raining. The players are out doing uh, the, the coin toss at, at midfield. And we're playing football and there was no delay at all. So it was like, what exactly is going on here? And then soon after that, bright, sunshiny, and all the talk that we had about wet ball drill and all that type of stuff and bad weather was gone. Yeah, that was one of my other hurdles was this lightning delay. They made an announcement in the press box like there could be a lightning delay. One of the, I don't know who he was, but some, I think it was an Arizona State reporter or communications person walked over to my end, which is where the Arizona State people were. And they were like, get this, we're getting a lightning delay. He was like, what are you talking about? You crazy. He was like, no, listen for it. So I just like listening to people's conversations because everyone sounds dumb all the time, including myself. So, yeah, so there was a real possibility of a lightning delay. And I I always wonder kind of what that effect that would have had on both sides of the team, you know, both juiced up, ready to go. And then you have to wait 45 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, uh, before you can get going. Chris, listening to other people's conversations is exactly heard it on the sidelines. Come on. Yeah, it's kind of the definition of the, the low-key definition of this segment. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that what help means when they say the light comes on? The light just came on for me. <laughs> I get it now. Incredible. Well done. Well done. Yeah, I was curious who the, the flyover was for because everyone else was in the locker room. So it was like, thank you for the flyover for the press box, people. And then it was just so eerie because first it was like, kind of gray and cold pregame and then after the warm-ups they go into the locker room for 15 minutes and that's usually when the band takes over and it was just silence it was really quietly muffled california love and it was just like this is football in an apocalypse what is happening and so it was a little it was odd for me in that sense and also odd because you know it's a hard job but the crowd noise i two seconds in i was like okay i'm already not a fan of this and second the cues of what's happening, like third down, first down, all that stuff, I, they were off. It didn't match what was happening in the game. So it was disorienting in that sense. Yeah, I, I definitely thought I, I wrote that down as well. The crowd noise and just when the applause versus the uh was supposed to be the sound was supposed to be made. It's like third and one USC gets stuffed and you hear, ah, it's like, wait, that's not right. That's not right. What's going on here? All right, Chris. I talked about the cycle of being a rookie. I'm kind of passing the torch to you right now. Instead of agree or disagree, which we usually have in our pod segment, I'm passing the torch to you. You're now the starter. We got take it or leave it. What do you got? This feels like Brew McCoy in the fourth quarter. Like, we've turned the reins over to him. Yeah, we got him a catch early in the game, but 
Now, all of a sudden, we get a tip touchdown. You're on the onside kick unit. You Now we're throwing the ball to you on the on the game-winning drive. Like, what, what's going on here? We, I don't know if uh, I trust this guy as much. Is he a five-star like Brew McCoy? I'm two and a half. I'm two and a half, baby. I just want to say to both of you, but mainly to Keeley, I resent you for making you turn my take-it-or-leave-it into your corporate uh, sellout telling me what I have to write for my take-it-or-leave-it. Okay, first of all, I just said, can we get a mix of serious take-it-or-leave-it that involves USC football and then the creative bits of Chris take-it-or-leave-it that uh, are good, you know? Oh, well, they're all good, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me oh, get, let me wow. Get to this, let me get to this corporate suck fest over here. All right, the take-it-or-leave-it, uh, today's pr- proud sponsor, Allstate Car Insurance. Take the security of a quality peace of mind and leave the stress of dealing with other insurance agencies. Thank you for the take-it-or-leave-it. Uh, weekly sponsor, Allstate Car Insurance. All right, let's get this over with. I would like uh, to state, just for legal reasons, it's not our actual sponsors. Continue, thank you. Yeah, whatever. Take this. Pac-12 National Exposure, 9 a.m. game. Did it work? Did it not work? Are we taking it or are we leaving it? Ooh, that's a really good one, Chris. Yeah, 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 whatever. Get on with it. <laughs> Leave it. 9 a.m. was gross. How about that? In person, 9am was gross. I would agree with that. I think you have to take it, though, because even though it was a crappy game for, for a lot of this, you know, there's some mistakes on both sides, the turnovers and whatnot, really good highlights, and those highlights were definitely played throughout the day, especially on all of Fox's properties, but also on, on the other college football shows as well. So I think you have to take that extra exposure from this. Um, it was It was gross in person, but... Overall, on the east, over on the East Coast, I think they saw more Pac-12 football than they normally would have. Yeah, that's true. My timeline was definitely all about the ending of the game, which is part of the intended purpose. So I guess if I'm being logical, I'll have to take it. It was very yeah. interesting being able to get home and actually watch more football, too, and watch like a marquee game like that Notre Dame-Clemson game. Uh, moving on, uh, Drake London is the team's best receiver. Another good one, Chris. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. Let's let's move it along. This is spicy. I'm still leaving it. I still love Amon Ross St. Brown. However, I will say, I like Amon Ross St. Brown more inside and being used with Drake London than outside, opposite of Drake London, because Drake London a lot of times spent uh, spent more time on uh, Tyler Vaughn's side, I believe, um, in this this particular game that was a rapid fire question i actually had for you guys so we'll we'll get into the on raw positional intrigue if you will i i don't know if i can do that to on raw st brown but he's coming for it so i'm gonna say leave it but raising my eyebrow while saying it you can't you can't pick drake london over on st brown but you could put a tight end with most most important all right <laughs> all right you those are not comparable. Thank you. What's interesting is that both guys aren't your prototypical pro prospect. Um, you know, the, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, of his size, and then Drake London, is he quick enough? Does he need to be a tight end? I think there's, there's some question marks about both, but both are just so productive that I don't know how either one of them is not going to make a roster and be really productive in the NFL as well. Let's see. Stephen Carr is finally back. Taking it. Taking it. I might be I might be jumping out there, 
jumping out into some shark-infested waters, but I'm taking it. I have to take it, too. You can just see the stride. It was much more glidey and less dancing, less happy feet, so I'm going to take it. And also, I think he's got more confidence now. I think you see the confidence when it comes to the physicality. When he goes on a a tackle attempt and throws that forearm shiver at Merlin Robertson on the very first play of the game, I think that shows you that he's got confidence. He doesn't feel like he needs to make everybody miss. You know, the back is healthy. He's going to hit people and be fine doing it. Shotgun kind of hinted at this one earlier, but Jude Wolf is the team's number one tight end. Take it. Are we including Drake London in this pseudo We are tight not. End? Okay. We are yeah, not because yeah, I said team's best receiver at the beginning of this, so he sure, is not. I didn't know if you were pulling some shenanigans here. Yeah, I'll take it. So what's interesting is Jude Wolf, I mean, Eric Romanhook started the game. Jude Wolf played 57 total snaps on offense. Jude uh, and Eric Cronenhook played 24. So more than double the amount that Cronenhook played. So I think it's interesting. Cronenhook didn't play an offensive snap until the kneel down in the second half after the opening drive of the second half. Uh, This is my last serious one, corporate one. Marlon Tui Pelotu is on a path to get drafted higher than Jay Tufele. Whew. You're bringing the heat with these, Chris. Yeah, this is spicy. Are we sponsored by Wendy's Spicy McNuggets? Oh wait, no, that's the wrong company. <laughs> wow. This is why wow. you don't do this is why you don't do the sponsorship it's true. reads. It's true. I'm gonna leave it. I think that Jay Tufele. Yes, thought I did. It. That's why I said it's a good one. Uh, but I'm going to leave it because I think Jay Tufeli has more explosiveness still. Yeah. Shotgun. When Shotgun goes ahead of me, he makes a very convincing argument. <laughs> Come to my side. That plus just how the kind of waning we saw in 2019. I just don't have enough in the bucket to say yes, to say take it. So I'm going to leave it. Okay. Shall we get on to the real take it or leave it? Sure. Go for it. Shotgun's newfound, or maybe it's just newfound for me, love of the flow, the mains. The oh, he's lettuce. always loved the flow. He's always loved the fl- flow. He's loved Connor Murphy from day one because of the flow. Oh, love, love the redheaded mullet. So good. So, leave it? <laughs> <laughs> leave yeah, it, it is. You were doing much better with the corporate ones, Chris. <laughs> uh, Twitter's new retweet format. Where I have to press it twice for no reason? I Leave it. I don't understand it. And if I post a link or, or retweet a link that I wrote, like it's a story that I wrote and they're like, are you sure you know what's in this? I'm like, yes, I wrote it. So that bothers me too. Just personally, when it comes to my own stories, but... I like not spreading misinformation, so I'm changing what this turned into, but leave it. Yeah, leave the, the double click for a retweet. Um, however, I do like the fact that they ask you if you've read the story. Yeah, it's just when it's your own story, it's a little annoying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think th- I think this whole thing is Shotgun's doing of his favorite read the story. <laughs> response to everybody who complains under one of his stories i think he i think he got in someone's ear and higher ups of a twitter hq to get that change going uh this one is mainly for keely uh peloton just announced new beyonce themed workouts 
to homecoming. Take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. Two seconds, take it. Yes. I don't even know what it is. I saw it during a presser. I was tweeting and I saw Beyonce Peloton and I was like, what is going on? And I bookmarked the tweet and I didn't go back and read it, but it's Beyonce. I have to take it. Thank you. I kind of know you're you're eager to jump in on this, so why don't you weigh in here? I I don't even know what what did you did you finish? Did you take it or leave <laughs> oh, it? <I'm, laughs> she took it. She took the whole thing, so you may not have anything to take. So, I mean, it's a stationary bike, so once you take it, it's gone, right? Um, I would take a Peloton if someone wanted to gift me one. If anybody out there wants to yeah. gift us uh, Pelotons, we'll take them. We'll gladly Just sponsor saying. the show as well. So, because they're ridiculously expensive, by the way. Uh, next one, Keely and technology. I've never seen Keely so upset about having a staff book provided at the end at the in the press box or live running updates. Upset? Why was I? Uh, I was, I was shocked. You can't stand that the, all these things are provided for people in the press box. I honestly did not know how much you guys get handed like information if you're in the press box. And so I, this was just me being like, wow, I was so hard on myself because I'm filming, trying to tweet, do injury updates, and also like try and keep, like keep track of down and distance and like major plays and how much yardage it is. And like, I thought you guys just did the math in your head or like tracked it yourself by hand up in the press box. And here I am sitting there and they're like, uh, Talanoa Hufunga made the tackle and his mom's name is Judith. And like, you get so much information and I just, it's incredible. So, I was a little angry, but it's fine. More power to you. I think the better take or leave it is Keely and assistance rather than technology. I'll take it. I always take assistance. But she's still mad about it that you guys have been getting this and I'm she li- has I'm a little bitter. How about that? I'm a little bitter. It felt like a secret no one told me. Definitely you know? bitter. My final one here is take it or leave it scary things. I don't know if anyone watched Joe Burrow today in his press conference, but he said when he was a little kid, he was scared of everything and he could not watch scary things. Uh, Only Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, things like that. I know we just passed Halloween a couple weeks ago, so I'm wondering, are you guys scary things aficionados? I'm going to leave it. I don't go out of my way to see scary things. And when I do, I try and find like the humor in it so that I get less scared. But I don't like getting scared. It's not a fun thing. I thought Beetlejuice was weird growing up. It just freaked me out. <laughs> just the whole thing. I just I avoid it all. The Michael Keaton Beetlejuice? I think it's actually a good movie. Like my roommates tried to convince me to watch it, but I'm like, ugh, just stop saying Beetlejuice and let's move on. That's the usually the discussion. Shake, 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 Sonora, shake your body right. Exactly. I, I don't have a problem with scary things. I don't watch many horror films in particular, uh, just because I think they're crappily made. Um, I enjoy really good horror films, but uh, just in general, scary things, I'm not going out of my way to find them, but I don't have a problem with them. And that and that's it. Thank you to Allstate. <laughs> it was such a low energy exit. <laughs> Thank you to Allstate. Well done. Alrighty, as promised, we're going to wrap this puppy up with rapid questions. I have four for you guys. First up, Shotgun, you already kind of dipped your toe into the waters on this one. Amon Ross St. Brown on the outside. I know they moved him around, but 
What did you think of, of him on the outside, that battle between him and Jack Jones? Is he more effective as an inside receiver? I'm glad that your questions are going to be rapid so that my answers don't have to be. Um, False. <laughs> I will come over there and hurt you. Got you. Got you, Keely. Just accept defeat. He got you. <laughs> no, I, I I mean, it was a great matchup between Amon Ross St. Brown and Jack Jones, but I think it showcased that it's not the best position to stick Amon Ross St. Brown in and leave him there. I think he's just he's such a technician with his routes that I don't think that running streaks down the sideline against Jack Jones is the best you know way to to go about using him. Use him in the middle of the field. We saw times when he would would come across the middle of the field, even starting from the outside, and just he reads zone, zones so well. And USC was struggling to move the ball consistently against the the zone defense of Arizona State. I just think that you need to be able to move him uh, based off what you're getting from the other team because he's so dynamic and he can be used in so many different ways. You know, he can, he can be on the outside, but let him run those chair routes and different things where he's making multiple moves because he'll sit somebody down on the field like he did last year against Cal on a, one of those touchdown catches he had. Um, so he he's just he's a delight to watch him his route running, and I don't think that they really. Um, explored that route running in this game so maybe we'll see some different things from him but i like moving him inside uh like they did later in the game when they went four wide receivers and having brew mccoy on the outside i think it just opens things up and that's where you saw the big catch from him you know down the seam uh whether it was a skinny post or, or just a straight seam route not sure but that was his biggest play came on a play from the inside so i like moving him around so that he does get some outside reps but he's he's just so much better on the inside I mean, I don't know what more I can add to that great answer. Uh, I do. I want him to be a inside receiver that plays a little outside, not an outside receiver that they play inside. I, I have a feeling it's more NFL motivated because I know I've seen analysts say we want to see him more on the outside. We want to see what he can do on the outside. But I think he's a much better USC's offense is much, much more deadly when he is inside. I think that's a great point from Chris, just pointing out the NFL prospects of it and that they're probably, his camp is probably asking for those opportunities on the outside. Sorry, Keely, I just had to make a great point. <laughs> Visual gas. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. Unreal. And the thing is, is I could see Shotgun winding up to add on to Chris's edition, and I was giving the no, don't, don't do it. It's rapid fire, and everyone just ignored me, so that's fine. That was a rapid wrap-up. No, it was not. Yes, it was. You touched on it, Shotgun, but my second rapid question for y'all, Joel Klatt had a lot of words about the air raid and the air raid against soft zone coverage. What, and I think what's what happens is that when... An announcer says something a lot. A lot of fans kind of pick it up and parrot it. And so I felt like I saw a lot online this past week of like, the air raid, the air raid, you can't, the BYU effect. And I know I talked about it too, so understandable. But how, what are your thoughts on the Joel Cloud effect and and what this offense can do even in zone coverage? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to see the initial Joe Cloud effect. We were watching the game, but when I was watching the the game here an hour ago, you know, you heard him say, you know, this is kind of the same blueprint that BYU did, that Notre Dame did. They play that soft coverage. And what you got to do is attack the seams. You can't do the little crossing routes. Attack the seams. I I wanted to see them take a little bit more deep shots uh, to maybe open that up a little bit more, uh, which we saw a little bit in in that fourth quarter, you know, that deep shot to Amon Ross St. Brown. Um... And that's something you you maybe want to send your tight ends out or your big your big like uh, like uh, shotgun just said with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown 
when you send him up the sideline there? I, I think when you're looking at it, that you can move the ball against the soft zone by being patient. And they were. So I, I, I know there's a lot of complaints because they didn't put up a ton of points, but when you're moving the ball consistently, it's not that you know they were throwing the ball and getting balls batted down, trying to throw these deep crossing routes or stuff like that. I think they were moving the ball pretty consistently by Keaton Slovis being patient. He wasn't under a ton of duress all day. The offensive line did pretty well there. Um, you know, he rolled out of the pocket, kept things alive, and changed the angle sometimes, which helped them open some things up for some throws. So I thought they did a lot of good things in this offense. And the fact that you had 550 yards means they're not being shut down. The BYU game was completely different first game, and Keaton Slovis tried to make some throws that you just can't make against that type of coverage, and they were interceptions. So when you turn the ball over three interceptions, that's much different, and that's you can make those calls. The Notre Dame game, that game was referenced. USC made adjustments at halftime in that game and was not stopped in the second half. So I think that they've learned from those mistakes last year and figure out how to attack this and being patient. Now, there's some other things they could have done better. Talked about it a little bit earlier about the tight ends not blocking those wide receiver screens on the outside and a couple other things. But you can still run those crossing routes and sit down. You just got to be able to find the holes in the zone instead of just running to a spot. And I thought as the game progressed, they they started reading and reacting a little bit better. So I didn't have any issues with the offense the way they attacked it. I thought it was a little little bit overblown. But that can happen when you're in a game and trying to analyze what exactly is going on. My third rapid question for y'all. What do you think is going to be the biggest difference for USC that they'll have to attack from ASU week one? Arizona week two. I think it starts with the tempo and the fact that Arizona's uh, offense wants to run a ton of plays. Um, so if they are successful and can move the ball a little bit, now your substitution patterns on defense, you know, is Marlon Tuipolotu going to be able to play, you know, 85% of the plays like he did this past week? I, I'm not exactly sure what the number was, but he played a ton of plays. If they're running 80 or 90 plays as well as USC is, that's a ton of, uh, of play snaps being played, and the defense plays that much more because ASU, I think it was 60 in the mid-60s that they, they ran in this game. I'll be looking for the USC's offense to kind of take advantage of this very depleted uh, Arizona defense, you know, that had a bunch of transfer portal additions uh, leave, uh, you know, Colin Schooler, the All-American, the former freshman All-American linebacker, uh, Tony Fields, uh, one of their top tacklers, they're gone. So they have a lot of departures there. I'm going to be looking forward to. I'm going to be looking to see USC's offense, you know, put up points on a on a defense they should be able to move the ball on. Yeah, definitely because you, you look at those two transfers you talked about. Schooler went to Texas, a team that was going to compete for the Big 12 title. They thought, and Fields went to Minnesota, a team that thought that they were going to compete for the Big 10 title. So when you're losing players of those type of programs you think are going to compete, that means they're really good players from a, a bottom feeder team in the Pac-12. So those are two of the best players on that defense, and both of them are gone. USC should be able to run the ball really well against the linebacker units that Arizona has. And they lost one of their top safeties, Scotty Young Jr., too. He's off at West Virginia. So another big loss for them in that secondary. So we'll see. Speaking of seeing, you guys preempted my final rapid question what are you looking for the most or what will you be looking for the most in game two for USC? Uh, just, I guess, physically, what are you actually going to look for? But also, what are you maybe hoping to see improvement wise? For me, I want to see how this young secondary 
uh, does this week. You know, they didn't get a, they had a pretty good week one. They didn't get a lot of action uh, with Frank Darby going out and then Jaden Daniels not passing as much with their run game being so successful. But I want to see how they handle Grant Gannell, uh, this Arizona QB who, you know, people are high on. He's a big kid, six foot six, big arm. Uh, I want to see if, you know, he's going to push the ball down the field with his tempo, see how they handle, uh, you know, a more traditional pocket passer. And maybe the defense can maybe get him a little bit more than they did to Daniels this past weekend. And, and USC, you know, faced Gunnell last year, part of that game. They couldn't get him down, though, because he's so big. They got pressure on him but couldn't get any sacks against him after they had sacked Khalil Tate a number of times. Like they were going to put a massive number up, and instead I think they got maybe one on Gunnell. Uh, they just couldn't pull him down. So, you know, being able to get the quarterback on the ground will be important in this game as well. I, I think it's on the offensive side, you know, do we see growth? Does the offensive line, can they get a push? You know, it, with the guys that Arizona lost – and the number of JUCO players they've had to bring in this season, that you should be able to dominate up front. Now they're facing a new scheme with Paul Rhodes, and there's been a lot of talk about, oh, you know, the unscouted looks. Just go out there and, and you know push people back and dominate and do the things you want to. You'll probably see some zone coverage, some soft zone and stuff. So you know what you got to do? Run the ball and run the ball consistently. And I think that's what I want to see from this. USC has a really good track record of running the ball against Arizona, even though they don't have Akasajic Ware, the, the wildcat killer um, who, who always dominated against Arizona. I think they should be able to run the ball and, and do it with consistency this game. Uh, Chris, you and I are heading out to the desert. We're actually traveling in COVID times, which is crazy. I know you're super excited to be around me for 48 hours, unfiltered, yeah, so excited. <laughs> you hear that in her voice? Did you hear that in her voice? Yeah, I'm just hyped. So excited. She's gonna she's gonna jump out of the car halfway to Arizona. Yep. I mean you get you guys are traveling and everything, but it's also a unique time for USC, the first road trip. Uh, you know, they they're gonna try to charter the largest plane they possibly can, was what Clay Helton said, but the travel party will be smaller. You know, you're not taking student uh, workers or administrators or anything like that. So a little bit of differences. I, I know they've talked about how the, uh, the players have their own individual rooms. So that might be a little bit different on the road as, as well uh, in the hotel. So there's going to be some changes. How does USC adapt to that as well? You know, they've already had to uh, deal with the 9 a.m. and all that stuff. Now the first road trip will be a little bit different for them too, I'm sure. I was wondering, is that going to be like a double-decker? USC just flying like a transatlantic jet to Arizona. <laughs> That's what came into my mind when Clay Hilton said it. So who knows? It depends on which booster is putting up the money, probably. A, yep, that's probably <laughs> the right answer there. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Hey, Chris, by the way, I have the game ball, the podcast game ball. I'm handing it to you, buddy. <laughs> you did it. I even added the buddy to make it sound legitimate like you're you're getting the game ball. Why, why does this... Why does this game ball say Coach Bone on it? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, wrong, wrong game ball. I'll, I'll get a different what? one. What? <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this. That's not going to make the cut. It is. It is going to make the cut. And to prove it to you, I'm going to wrap this puppy up. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for our first post-game family feud. Chris, you want to add something? I just wanted to say very quickly... It's Veterans Day. I just want to say thank you to all the veterans out there. Thank yes. you for your service. Uh, this is a veteran-friendly podcast. It better be or I'm off. Uh, <laughs> my brother is a veteran, served uh, tour in Afghanistan. I just want to say any veterans out there, thank you for your service, and we appreciate you. Yeah, my What dad Chris said, well. and thank you to Chris's brother and Keely's dad. Yeah. 
So, oh, did not know that. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Chris. That's the one good interruption you've had all podcast. I'll give you that. Ah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Chris Trevino. That's Shotgun Spratling. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.